Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. For more information about this podcast, check out our pilot episode titled, What Is This Podcast About? My name is Daniel Schugert, and I am joined today by Ross Anderson. In today's episode, we want to discuss sharing your faith using stories. Mormonism is not defined by theological statements, but more by core stories. So when we have faith conversations with Latter-day Saints, let's consider how to talk in terms of stories. That is, God's story and our story uh, as a way to better speak to the Latter-day Saints' heart. So, Ross, what, what is at the heart of this difference? Okay, first of all, let me just remind our listeners where we've been going in recent episodes of this, that really we're trying to connect the dots between understanding the Mormon culture and the unique features of the LDS culture to then how would we communicate the unchanging gospel in this cultural context. And that's why we've been talking about the language of experience, and that's why we've been talking about the LDS cultural identity. And and so today, this is part of that. We're saying, hey, there's a feature of Mormon culture in terms of how Latter-day Saints understand and communicate truth, that we want to take this into account. And that is that uh, Mormonism is really built around some key stories so it's not really theologically driven. There's an emphasis in Mormonism is more on living the right way, more on being loyal to the to the church and its structure, and uh, rather than orthodox belief systems. So um, you know, Mormonism doesn't really have a statement of faith like like many churches have um, or theological institutions have. The, the closest thing is the Articles of Faith. Um, but but that's not very systematic, and it's not very complete, so it doesn't really function the way a statement of faith functions for like a Christian college, say, or a denomination. And so, you know, of course, everybody has a theology for sure. It's just not always communicated in that kind of fashion. Oh, what's number one? We're talking about the nature of God. Number two, we'll talk about the nature of Revelation and Scripture and Jesus and so forth and down the line. And so in evangelical culture... In America today, we have really learned to think more in terms of systematic theology. Uh, we break it down into these categories. That's how pastors are trained in theological seminary. That's how our textbooks on theology are organized. And so that's become our cult- cultural norm. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. That's certainly a helpful tool. But I'm saying that when it comes to communicating to people if a different cultural framework, we need to think about how they think about reality. And so for Latter-day Saints, they organize their reality into stories. And so truth is passed on, truth is explained, truth is embedded, not so much in theological formulations, but in stories. So that's why I want to think together today about what what does that mean for our witness um, how do we understand that, and what does it mean for our witness to our LDS friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a previous episode, the language of experience, we discussed how on this spectrum between uh, a more systematic theology versus uh, experiences or stories, 
neither is right, neither is wrong, and in fact, a, a genuine life probably is going to have a significant amount of both. Uh, but what sorts of stories are most central to a Latter-day Saint? Well, there's really four. I mean, you can. Everybody's got personal stories and and uh, faith-promoting experiences and so forth. But there, at the heart of the Mormon culture, there's four core stories, and I'm going to run them down. So be prepared to you know hold your breath for a minute here. I'm just going to run these down and kind of do a do a content dump for you guys for a minute, but. Um, the first one is the story of how original Christianity was restored. The Mormons call that the Restoration because they believe that Christianity was lost from the face of the earth, the great apostasy. And when Joseph Smith, the way that he tells the story is that he began with what's called the first vision. He went to ask God what church was right, which church to join, and God the Father and Jesus appeared to him and said, don't join any of them, they're all apostate, they're all corrupt. And so, from the very beginning, the LDS Church was framed in reference to apostasy and restoration. That's a big thing. And, and you know, the, their whole idea about the nature of God is totally embedded in that story of the first vision. Everything that they think about God, they, instead of going to um, you know, some other source to say, this is, what, this is a summary of what we think about God, they'll go straight to that story. And, it, and it's how they think about God. But there's also a number of key ideas that are embedded in the story. Uh, the centrality of Joseph Smith, of course, as the prophet of the Restoration. The centrality of the Book of Mormon as this lost scripture that's now being revealed as part of the Restoration. The whole apostate Christi uh, condition of Christianity, how, how they think about the rest of us, you might say. The idea of Mormonism as one true church. It's the church that Jesus founded. And, and so the idea of Mormons as special people, um, the, the, the idea that you have to have legitimate priesthood authority handed down from the beginning, the idea the Bible can't be trusted, the idea of continuing revelation, um, and again, the nature of God, as we said. So all these things are embedded in this first core story of the Restoration, and it's very prominent in LDS music and art and fiction they don't just make the claims, they keep telling the story in which the claims are embedded. That's number one, is the restoration. Number two is the, what they call the plan of happiness, or the plan of salvation, more commonly further in the past. And this is their meta-narrative about um, really the purpose of the universe. This story begins long before anyone was born in this earthly life. There's three movements to the story. There's, there's life before in the, in the pre-mortal, the uh, pre-existence. There's life in this world. And then the third chapter of the story is what happens in the next life. So they've got, these, they've got charts and, and pictures that de depict this whole narrative story that each individual is caught up in because we started in the pre-existence. We are here in this world now. What's going to happen in our future life? Where are we going? So it's pictured as this panoramic epic that each person is moving forward through the story, through this plot, through this trajectory of life. And the story explains key ideas, core worldview ideas, theological ideas of Mormonism are embedded in there because it tells us who we are as human beings. It tells us about what salvation actually entails. It tells us what's the meaning of life in this earth. It tells us what the future holds. So in, in evangelical Christianity, we might find those things in a textbook or in a statement of faith, 
Mormonism finds them in this story, The Plan of Happiness. Mm-hmm. It's good to see how, how every worldview that's out there has stories that, that really answer some of these big questions about the world. Where, where do things come from? Where do we come from? What's the, what's the purpose of humanity? And what's the purpose of even my life? What's the big problem with the world? And, and what, has, uh, what has in it the solution of that world? And mm-hmm. for Latter-day Saints, that's so much included in this plan of happiness or the plan of salvation, which is really a story more than just an, a, a list of facts or information right. about those questions that we're right. asking. And that's a great observation. And this is why, this is one reason why, anyway, that those ideas or truth claims that are encapsulated in the story have a great deal of emotional power. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like the idea that we existed in in this pre-existent state as spirit children of God before we were born into this world, that has huge emotional power. And when people consider leaving Mormonism, that's one of the things that's hard for them to leave behind because it has because they're embedded in this powerful story that explains their life in in a sense explains many things to them if they believe that story. So that, that's a great observation. The third story is um, the Mormon Exodus to Utah. So the church is restored. Joseph Smith, the prophet, they're persecuted, and so they have to leave. They have to leave first Ohio, then they have to leave Missouri, then they have to leave Illinois, and they finally come to Utah in this great this great trek across the plains, and. They, they rallied against all opponents, and, and, and so encapsulated in this story, not so much theological concepts, but values, virtues, all the virtues ex- associated with the pioneer experience, like perseverance and hard work and staying together as a community and self-reliance, caring for each other, um, you know, making a, a world in this inhospitable place. In, in, in the desert. And so all the things that embody, um, you know, what, what makes a person virtuous are wrapped up in that story. And then the fourth one is the Book of Mormon itself, not the story of, of, of how the Book of Mormon came forth. That's really part of the Restoration story. But, but there's a narrative arc, or really we should say there is a narrative cycle in the Book of Mormon in its own plot line where there's great uh, cycles of of success and then downfall and then repentance and then success and then downfall and repentance. And there's dozens of individual stories as well that really shape Mormon life. The story of Helaman's stripling warriors is a, a faith-stirring, courageous-stirring story. The story of, of people who became apostate, the story of how certain people uh, came to um, follow God and so forth. Um, are embedded in, in the Book of Mormon story, so it has a tremendous shaping power in the LDS culture. So that's just a, a brief introduction to how important and powerful stories are in Mormon life. And so understanding that, hopefully then, um, and there's a lot of resources that people could delve into to understand more about those particular stories, but what we're interested in today maybe more is talking about how we respond to that cultural trait by using story and narrative more 
in how we share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. So, so where where would that take us? Well, I just wanted to share this story one or on on a number of occasions um, by LDS missionaries in my living room. I've been asked, well, "What do you think about the Book of Mormon?" And uh, that's that's an interesting question. I, I still haven't really landed on on how I would like to answer that question, but I'll, I'll often start discussing how uh, the Book of Mormon itself doesn't give a whole lot of theological ideas that I could agree or disagree with, but the the book itself is primarily telling a story, a narrative that I don't believe happened, and and, and so. It, they're not so much asking, well, what do you think about um, Doctrine and Covenants? Well, I, I can answer that a lot more clearly. Uh, here, here are some that I, I can biblically refute, and I, I have comfort saying I, I really don't like the way that some of these doctrines are uh, doing this and that in, in your idea of who God is or who Jesus is. But as, as far as the story goes, just the Book of Mormon being a story, well, I, I don't think the story happened right. um, but I, I don't have as I, I don't have as many ways that I can say oh well this right here I, I refute I refute this yeah that's a great observation because the theological content of the Book of Mormon is really not the point mm-hmm. you know there's so many things that Mormons believe and practice today that have nothing to do with the Book of Mormon um, like eternal marriage and you know, the idea that men can become gods, and none of that's found in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. But its role as a story is really important, because if, if you accept the validity of it as an ancient record, then all the rest of the dominoes fall into place. Then Joseph Smith was a prophet then, and therefore the Church is true and all the rest. So, you know, that, 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 that's a great illustration to show how the Book of Mormon isn't, it isn't really so much about the doctrinal teachings of the Book of Mormon as the, as the existence of the Book of Mormon as a story is, is what's pivotal there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, much of the Bible is actually the same. Much of the Bible is just a, a story and narrative, and we could get into trouble if we're, say, reading the Book of Judges. And we're trying to to take well, this is what happened, and move it into well, this should be. Right. If we if we take the story and try to interpret it when the book itself isn't really giving an interpretation, um, so it, it's important to recognize that so much of the Bible is purely narrative, just saying this is what happened, and that's it as far as the book or that story goes. But how how is this different from what you've been describing so far? Yeah, so, yeah, I think to some extent, if you look at our uh, Christian, main, mainstream Christian or ev- evangelical Christian culture, I think that we, we are a product of our culture, of our sort of Enlightenment, um, Western European culture, in the sense that we've, we've moved away from story and maybe neglected the narrative um, reality of the Bible itself, and we've moved in favor of a more rationalistic, systematic theology approach. And so that's, that's kind of embedded. If we want to be more um, self-aware about our own culture, all our own cultural location as Christians in America today, then, then yeah, maybe we have, we have 
taken an approach where we want to, we think the Bible ought to be some kind of maybe an encyclopedia or a theology textbook, and that's why we tend to proof text sometimes, or, or we, that's why we're really f- familiar or comfortable with like the epistles, which take you know, some of these big ideas that are expressed in the whole narrative of the Bible and boil them down into like more factoids in a sense, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we, like, we can quote those easily. So, but, so as Christians, we do have this narrative framework that, that defines a lot of things that for us, and we've just said systematic theology is just an attempt to, is to take all the things the Bible says about a certain topic and pull them all together so that it's coherent and it's consistent. So there is a place for that. But um, there's probably a greater place than, that we ought to be giving, I think, as Christians to the Bible as a narrative. Um, again, again, not without—we want to take the whole Bible and interpret it in light of itself, right? Interpret one passage in light of another. So the narrative passages, like you said, the book of Judges, you, how, do you, how do you look at that? If you took it as, as uh, prescriptive and not just descriptive, then there's all kinds of crazy things that happen there that, we, that, that don't make any sense. But so it has to be interpreted in lar- a larger framework. Again, a larger framework to begin with, with um, the context of the Old Testament law and so forth. And then the ultimate larger framework of God's great story of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. So we have to interpret the Bible stories in light of everything the Bible says. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we reject the stories or we sometimes maybe neglect the stories in the Bible. And a, a great example of that is the Gospels themselves. The Gospels... A lot of Christians today in our in our culture are way more com- more comfortable in the Pauline epistles than in the Gospels, hmm. and so maybe there's some things we can learn um, from our Mormon neighbors, but also we can learn how to engage our Mormon neighbors by recovering a sense of the narrative of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think this attraction to narrative and story is is actually written into our DNA. A, a friend showed this to me recently, but we can just look at the film industry, well, every every story that's in a film, uh, other than some of the most boring ones that you skip through and don't watch, uh, but the, the most engaging stories, the majority of them, they tell a story of uh, a, a good beginning. They tell a story of a, a downturn when things went south. Then they tell a story of redemption, how, how things were made right again. Um, and, and so this is what is most attractive to us. People love writing this kind of stuff. People love watching this kind of stuff. And possibly the reason is because it's, it's a part of our DNA to love the narrative story uh, of the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. I think I, I would affirm that. Um, and I think you look at, if you want to look at it cross-culturally, then you see that that does seem to be the case universally across human cultures, regardless of, you know, how they handle knowledge or information or whatever. The stories, um, as you mentioned earlier, every culture has stories that, that define the meaning of life and, if, and, and the world, their worldview and who they are. And I, you're right, it just seems to be wired into humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so one, one thing that I've found very helpful in my witnessing of Jesus to Latter-day Saints is, is rather than grabbing hold of these 
con- uh, concise statements in the Pauline epistles or, or elsewhere that are just really nice, tidy summaries of beliefs that I hold, uh, I, I rather have gravitated towards sharing stories, sharing this narrative uh, that we've been discussing. And, and maybe you've done this, maybe you've neglected it, maybe you've just not even thought of it in this way, but, but I would encourage you to go back and, and as you read, even in the Old Testament, some of these stories of the life of Abraham, at least the author of Hebrews, he, uh, he seems to think that these stories about Old Testament people are, are really important and they're, they're stories to champion about faith. And so go back and, and revisit Abraham. How can you communicate the gospel through Abraham and his, his narrative, his stories, the way that he experienced faith, the way that he experienced doubt, the way that he tried to take matters into his own hands and made a mess of his life and the way that God redeemed it? Or what about the patriarch Jacob? What about Joseph? Some of these, some of these stories that actually do communicate gospel truths right. that are summarized in the epistles, but in, in story. Mm-hmm. Or some of my favorite from, from the New Testament, uh, I, I really love to lean on Jesus and his words, uh, the stories where he's the main character, but also the stories that he, he tells. And they, they're narratives that communicate, again, just the gospel in simplicity, but in a narrative form. So, so here, here are a couple of suggestions that I, uh, I really gravitate towards. One is the, the story of the paralytic who is lowered through the roof and healed by Jesus, but first forgiven. That's it. That's in Luke 5. Yeah, that's a great story. Another one is, is the woman at the well in mm-hmm. John 4, yeah. who, who she had encountered Jesus and then went into her town and she proclaimed uh, her testimony Come, come check out this guy who just told me everything mm-hmm. about my life. Um, right. And even a, a declaration of who Jesus was or, or even might be, she, she said, could this be the Messiah? Right. Uh, so that's another story that you can, that you can tell. Or the prodigal son in, in Luke 15. Uh, look for the gospel truths that are in this narrative. Yeah, so, you know, if you think about how Jesus used stories and why he used stories, it's a little bit different from, you know, some of the things we do in evangelism. I think partly when we share our faith, we just want to have a quick response. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're a little uncomfortable with an ongoing process of grappling with... But Jesus, when, when you tell a story, you know you are putting the hearer in a framework where they have to really think about it. They have to grapple with it and have to maybe discover some of the meaning for themselves. And it might be the kind of thing that where there's an aha moment much later on, you know, where we'd like to have you tell me right now where you stand, you know. Um, but Jesus told stories because sometimes stories could obscure the truth from someone who's not spiritually prepared to hear it, but then it could reveal the truth to someone who is. You know, the point of the parables, Jesus said they have this dual function. And so stories have a way of, of helping people to wrestle with truth in, internally 
and 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 figure it out for them so that they really come to truth they own that truth they're not just convinced against their will maybe that you have the better mm-hmm. argument but they come to this place of realization and understanding as a result of this approach that that kind of bumps around in their soul maybe for a while mm-hmm. yeah par- parables about the kingdom are very poignant because they give a little picture of what the kingdom of god is like one of my favorites is the pearl of great price. Wait, <laughs> wait, isn't that a Mormon thing? Yeah. Oh, I love to tell people that I, I really love the pearl of great price. And so often, at least in my context, people are thinking the book? The Mormon scripture? Yeah. Um, but really, that comes from, or the language of that comes from one of Jesus's teachings about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price, or, or some other translations uh, shift those words around. Right. But the idea right. is, oh, the kingdom is this immensely valuable thing that when it's found, a person goes and sells all that he has so that he can get this thing, this pearl of great price. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I love to tell that story, partly because it catches people off guard. They don't think I'm going to say the pearl of great price, uh, but also because it shows the immense value of knowing Jesus and understanding the kingdom and knowing the gospel, the good news that is entrance to the kingdom. Right. Yeah, that's a great illustration. And there's so many, of course, parables of Jesus, parables of the kingdom, like you mentioned already, the prodigal son, there's layers and layers of meaning in there for the person who is engaged with ruminating on, reflecting on a story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And a lot of it speaks, of course, to LDS people, a lot of it speaks to non-LDS people too, but um, yeah, so, so it's a great idea. Um, to become familiar, you mentioned becoming familiar with the some of the Old Testament stories and how the gospel is inherent or elements of the gospel of God's grace are inherent there. And then you mentioned, you know, the stories where Jesus is the is the hero, so to speak, the main character. And so we can see him in action. LDS people can um, you know, they by and large they have a high view of Jesus and they have mm-hmm. a great regard for Jesus. And so you know, this is the side benefit of the stories of the God in the Gospels is that there is common ground there, and so we're not like uh, this is this is the place where our world our worldviews most coincide. I believe is around the historical person of Jesus, and so they're not fighting against like oh you know I don't accept that, and mm-hmm. we're not going like well I can't really accept that, and so those are powerful. Um, as well, and then the stories that Jesus told, the parables that have so much profound Im- embedded meaning in them. And so, you know, I think that that's helpful. That gives us an idea of, um, you know, maybe where where people can go next to kind of develop. Do you have any any tips or, or any best practices as people explore using stories more in their conversations? Are there some guidelines or some things that you would impart to say, here's maybe effective ways to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a couple things real quick. One is um, I think that it's it's tempting to try to grab at some of these concise statements and, and memorize those or even memorize some Bible verses from the epistles that communicate the truth in a systematic way very cleanly, and, and I love those. 
Um, but I would encourage listeners to, to grab a hold of some of these stories and actually practice telling them. So I grab, grab a friend, grab your spouse, grab whoever, and, and just tell them a story. Tell them the story of the paralytic or tell them the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18 and, mm. and just practice memorizing the story. You don't have to get word for word. That's not the point. That's not the point. Uh, It's hard to memorize that much anyways, but memorize the main points. What's happening in the story? What are the words that Jesus uses? One of the ways that I I identify which stories to tell is I, I scoured through the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, and I looked through which, um, which stories were told where at the end of the story, Jesus affirmed a person and said, Mm -hmm. you got it right, Mm -hmm. or that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of stories that I select. So when sharing the story on um, the Pharisee and tax collector in Luke 18, if you're sharing that with a friend just to practice, um, share the facts, what happened in the story. Mm -hmm. Share what are some of the phrases that Jesus used? How How did Jesus end that story? At the end, he said, this man rather than the other went home justified that day. Right. So that's a phrase maybe that phrase specifically to memorize because that really knocks it out of the park. This is the point of the story. Right. Or the very the very introduction of that story. Who who was it that Jesus was speaking with? Some of those mm-hmm. details yeah. are really important. And uh, you don't have to get every word memorized, but telling telling the story in a way that is really poignant and communicates the gospel truths that you're trying to communicate, but through the narrative, um, just just practice, practice that. It, it it actually takes practice. It's kind of funny the first time you you read the story and you say, "Oh, I know it so well," and then you close the book, right. try to tell the story. <laughs> and oops! Ooh, I don't remember it as well as I thought yeah. I did. So I actually practice telling these stories. Yeah, and then how do you? Um, now we've talked in the past about we we want to create conversation and dialogue. So how do you move from the telling of the story itself and and the point of the story? How do you engage the other person in interacting with or conversing about that story? So it's not like, oh, here's a story, boom, now we're done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it really depends on the level of relationship you have to a person. So if you're you're meeting uh, a coworker or neighbor uh, that you really don't know very well, you, you can ask a very simple lowball question like, oh, where do you see yourself in this story? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people don't have very much self-awareness. They'll, they'll say what I would consider the wrong answer. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, a story of a friend who was faithfully sharing some of these narrative stories. And um, the, I think it was four or five weeks in a row, just a different, a slightly different uh, narrative story that communicated the same point. And each time the woman said, yeah, I am this character. I am this character. I am this character. And every time my friend was thinking in his mind, you're wrong. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's not <laughs> who you are. And then after the four or five weeks, then it clicked. Then it clicked. And she said, oh no, I see what you've been doing. I was wrong. I'm actually the Pharisee. Oh no, I'm actually the older brother um, from the from the prodigal son story, and and so it, for for my friend, he was just asking these lowball questions of who, who do you see yourself as in this story, and even though he disagreed with her answer, 
it just let it be and allowed right. allowed the Lord to work in that. And the Holy yeah. Spirit one day just made it click for her. And then she mm-hmm. had her eyes open and, and knew, oh, I see what the Word is trying to tell me. Right. That's great. That's a great illustration um, uh, of what we're trying to say. And the power of stories intrinsically as humans, the power of stories as a biblical reality, and then certainly the power of story in the LDS culture. It all adds up, right? Mm-hmm. Another way that I've I've shared stories is through uh, what could be called discovery Bible study. And so uh, I'll, I'll gather some people in my home. Maybe some are following Jesus. Maybe, maybe some are, are not. Um, but really the purpose is to look at a story from the Bible and, and learn from it. And if you've led Bible studies in the past, great. If, if, if not, um, here's, a, here's a simple way to do it is to just read the story. For example, read, read the story of the resurrection in, in Luke 24 and ask, ask people some simple questions. Um, a couple that I love to lean on are, uh, what does this story teach us about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then what does this story teach us about humanity or people or me even? Um, and, and, uh, I'll ask, are there any, are there any commands given in this story? Are there any specific examples that we should follow? Are there any promises that we should grab a hold of? Um, or are there, are there any sins specifically identified that we should avoid? And so I, th- these are just some simple questions that I love to ask. Mm-hmm. And every time I do, it, it's amazing how simple little questions can draw such a great response, um, both from Christians that right. are following Jesus, right. a- as well as uh, the non-believers, maybe Latter-day Saints right. that I have with me. And, and so often I've heard this response, I've never gotten so much out of a Bible study as I did today. And that just makes my heart well, sore. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. And it's it's not because you had um, all of this knowledge that you're going to impart, like a lecture or anything like that, but it's because you just simply opened the door with a simple question for people to encounter the story for themselves and let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work. And in a way, I'm I'm modeling a little bit of a a hermeneutic or how how mm-hmm. to actually approach the Bible and how to ask good questions about the text and and that's a skill that I want everyone to grow in. And so I'm I'm just in a little way modeling that for people, whether they're following Jesus or not. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter Day Saints with wisdom and grace.